Hey, I'm Edward Angueso Jr. reporting live for this Machine News Network. We're on the ground at a massive TLF demonstration. There must be thousands of people here on the street right now. So uh, let's see if we can find maybe one of the demonstrators, you know, to explain what's going on here. Oh, them. I, I think I found someone. Uh, sir, can you can you you know speak with us? Uh, talk with us. T tell us what's going on here. You know why you're here today. What does you know TLM stand for to you? What's up? I'm Jathan Sadowski, and before I use your platform to spread my message, first I gotta say this one goes out to Polly G and all my boys in the clubhouse. TLM stands for one simple thing. A level playing field where everybody can hustle hard and build a better world. We're talking 10x growth for justice, baby. For too long, the makers, risk takers, and move fast breakers have been marginalized and oppressed. We've been put down by all the ungrateful users out there. TLM is about respecting our value to society. TLM is about peer progress. Alright everybody, let's get this chant going. Tech lives matter. Tech lives matter. Tech lives matter. Tech lives matter. Welcome everybody to episode one of This Machine Kills, a new podcast brought to you by me, Jathan. And me, Edward. And we're, we're looking at the intersections of technology and capital. I mean, that's, that's what this podcast is really about. There's a lot of podcasts out there talking about politics. There's podcasts out there, you know, really focused on the culture, mm -hmm. really focused on the discourse. There's not a lot out there really, you know, looking deep into these, how these issues intersect with technology, with innovation, and particularly through this framework and, and lens of, of power and equity, right? Right. I mean, like, you know, there's, there's people like me and Ed who have been writing about this, tweeting about this, <laughs> talking about mm -hmm. this for a long time. But there's always space for for more agitprop against innovation, uh -huh. right? Against these ideas of, of what innovation means and how it's organized in a capitalist system. And that's what we're trying to bring to you here. Right, you know, and I think also, you know, as a way for us to, you know, talk about these things together and, and learn about them uh you know together and all and like you said you know azure prop is really important propaganda you know they have really good propaganda um and we need to uh you know make our minds like a i don't know what, what's what's the phrase like a like a sword or, you know something to cut through the bullshit basically um that is out there about tech even though you know in the in the field and you know general discourse and circles there's a sort of critical you know, position or stance towards it. There's still a lot of, you know, myths, narratives, you know, stereotypes, you know, ideas that come to us from, you know, the same people who are supposed to be trying to check and, uh, 
and I think that it's important. Hopefully, we figure out ways to, you know, talk about it more clearly. Um, yeah, and to shit on them, because uh, God knows, <laughs> you know, I mean, they don't usually have to do it, but God knows we can, like, you know, add more to that. I mean, that's that's definitely really important, right? And I think just just you know recognizing right up front that there's a need for that kind of propaganda and there's a need for agitprop because that's an that's an important part of analysis right mm -hmm. like you know you've got you've increasingly critical viewpoints on technology are getting mainstream but they're all still pretty surface level what we want to do is really dive beneath that really start asking questions about like how is innovation done how is it organized right mm -hmm. who gets to make these technological and political decisions um and for what reasons are these technologies you know which materialize the interest and the values some of the most odious people alive you know, mm -hmm. why are they even made? Why are they made at all? And how, how can we think about unmaking them, dismantling mm -hmm. them, deciding, you know, you know what, that doesn't deserve to exist anymore. Right. You know, and also ways where uh, the, you know, the immediate impulses that we might have when it comes to unmaking certain things, reforming certain things, why they don't map on well to digital technologies, right? You know, whether it comes into the idea that, the solution to data privacy is uh, to turn it into another, you know, commodity, right? Or the idea to handle um, large conglomerates that have, uh, you know, divided up parts of our lives into their little thieves is to, you know, strictly break them up so there's more competition. I mean, like, I think, you know, as you said, a lot of the ideas are coming to the, to the mainstream, um, but the the deeper you know, political content, the deeper uh, analysis that they have, you know, and that th some of the people who are bringing them to the mainstream have are being lost, but also by, you know, some of these actors, these companies, uh, these groups that defend companies who are interested in hollowing out that, you know, potent message and threat to their own position and power and privilege. Yeah, and you know, it's like we, we're not going to come correct with all the right answers right. all the time. You know, like you said, we're working through this ourselves. I mean, a big part of this is about having an archive of kind of concrete analysis of conc concrete situations as they as they happen, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if, if anything, you know, for me personally, if there's like a, a, a bumper sticker slogan that we can, you know, slap on the back of this bad boy, it uh -huh. would be hello friends and enemies, you know, because it's a recognition that we need to build that solidarity, build that fortitude against a coterie of actually existing enemies, you know, uh -huh. it, it's, it, it, when, when we're not all holding hands here, this isn't the, you know, the friendship club, there, you know, you, 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 you even talked about it, Ed, where at the beginning, where it's like, they're out for us, right? Like they're they're doing propaganda against the left, against uh, you know any kind of critical viewpoint against capitalism, against the status quo. Um, they're out there building their own solidarities and their own organizations quite effectively, I might add. And and that's an important, necessary tactic for us to do as well, and particularly one that's oriented around this like really kind of technologically sensitive mindset right yeah i don't know you know if i have a bumper sticker in mind i feel like you know 
it's underrated the importance of like you said having enemies or having in mind uh the idea that you have enemies and you need to know who they are i don't know maybe is your hate pure enough because i feel you know that like that <laughs> some of uh we could do a lot more if we we were motivated by or, or emboldened by a little bit more rage you know like a lot of the shit that we want to fix uh these are deeply immoral issues, whether it's, you know, the fact that child labor can't be rooted out of the entire supply chain for our tech economy, whether it's the conditions that these workers or, you know, contractors are forced to endure. Um, we should be more angry because I think also that would let us be more uncompromising on these things and more willing to see them as indictments of uh of everything that's going on instead of like unfortunate outcomes and circumstances that if we do the right technocratic fix you know if we figure out a way to subcontract to subcontract to subcontract to subcontractors then there will be no child minors as an example right yeah and there's like there's like this this mirror centrism where you know we we're, we know what the centrists look like in politics, mm -hmm. right? It's the people that are like, you know, talking about civility in the discourse. It's the people who are you know welcoming Mitch McConnell to the resistance because he says or does something you know off you know out of pocket once. You know, it's, <laughs> like, it's those people who have no actual stance on anything. And there's a there's a there's a, a an analogy to that. In thinking about techno politics and technology, it's this kind of idea that all oh, technologies are neutral; they're just tools. You know, it's it's a centrism. It's a viewpoint that's more than willing to accept, you know, truly awful, truly evil systems, um, and and you know, rehabilitate them. Oh, if only they weren't, you know, wielded by ICE or by the police or whatever, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, if only we had the right reforms that respected privacy or or, or or audited them or you know something like that it's this mindset that i think i think is really dangerous because it refuses to it, it refuses to indict as you were just saying you know it refuses to acknowledge uh that that the the evil the 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 you know that these things can bring into the world and that these things do bring into the world it's not an accident that things like mass surveillance, for example, you know, exist the way that they do and are used the way that they are. Right. You know, I think that, you know, leads, you know, nicely, I guess, to the, for the first sort of example, you know, that we wanted to talk about, which is specifically, you know, technology and the, inter the intersections between technology and policing, right? I think both mm. are. Yeah, I mean, talk about talk about a real enemy, right? right. Like, <laughs> if if we're gonna if we're gonna start naming enemies, <laughs> then we've got to start with the policing industrial complex right off the bat. Right, every cop, you know, um, and every tech tool that they use, and also the tech companies that you know provide these tech tools, um, and you know, I think it is both clear or it's nowhere more clear than the tech and policing that people really do believe in the neutrality of these institutions or that these institutions try to present themselves as you know, neutral like you know we are 10 years out now from a period of time where tech was after a pretty successful you know set of pr campaigns able to present itself as 
neutral arbiter of solutions and fixes to problems that it, you know, off off of the uh, out of sight was, you know, uh, making worse, exaggerating, benefiting from. And similarly with policing, I mean, policing in of itself is an institution that goes back, you know, to the origins of this country as slave patrols, as you know, post. Uh, civil war attempts to uh, you know continue to discipline you know and corral black um, you know people black workers um, you know bring terrorize communities um, and and enforce a certain regime of property rights and social order you know and it makes sense that the police you know an institution that is self-aware of its own history of racist violence and also getting constantly called out on that history of race violence, racial, uh, racist violence, right, is going to team up with an institution that you know also it's in of itself has racist origins. You know, when it, whether it's the way that computation was developed to help with the census as a way to you know specifically qualify or or make real racial divisions and to justify uh, distribution of resources, you know, to control black populations who are seen as more criminal, you know, at the turn of the, the century, uh, the 20th or the 20th century. And um, I think that, you know, the, that by undermining the myth of independence, uh, whether it be with technology or policing, right, can go a long way towards revealing the ways in which tech uh, has, you know, taken advantage of other crises that other institutions in our society are having, uh, legitimacy crises because they're failing to provide basic goods or services or, you know, uh, provide for the community safety or anything, really, um, that, you know, as each institution has its own legitimacy crisis, technology swoops in as you know, providing a solution, but in reality, making it uh, monstrously worse, right? Yeah, and yeah, I, that that's exactly right in the sense that, you know, I don't think the technology sector has had to reconcile to the same degree that police have, you know, just, just this year, right. you know, publicly having to reconcile with this long history of, of racism, of oppression, of, you know, division that really defines their sector. It's not, it's not that the technology companies, you know, uh, are hanging out with, you know, kids from the wrong side of the track and, you know, they, they, oh, oh, they, you know, they, they started mingling with some, you know, some bad seeds and, you know, that's corrupting them. No, 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 no. The, the, the intersections between police and the, the tech sector are, are, are very natural intersections, right? These kinds of like um, baking in division, um, baking in, you know, quote unquote bias, which I think is too soft of a word mm-hmm. um, into these information systems goes back a really long way. Right. Like I, I, I think of um, excellent work by the historian Mar Hicks, who's really looked at the way that things like gender and like transphobia um, were like baked into the uh, the information systems in like the United Kingdom's like social services administration, right? Like things like that, right? Where it's like once these once these things get buried in the code, they get really hard to extract, right? And it, and and it's not just this like. 
this bad you know this this bad culture right it's not and it's not just about these you know uh bad apples or malevolent actors right It, it it goes a lot deeper than that so maybe we can give the people a little bit of um of a rundown of some of the the arsenal that's coming out of this policing industrial complex right you know i so go for it yeah no no go go for it ed i know you've written (laughs) a lot about this i mean um so so hit us with hit us with a rundown of some of the things that that are that are happening in that that intersection you know i think the uh you know the ascent of the you know, police abolitionist movement, prison abolitionist movement, were good opportunities to talk about some of the tools that police have uh, successfully deployed and utilized, you know, to terrorize communities. Um, and, you know, some of those range from persistent surveillance um, and predictive, you know, policing, where you have like Predpol, you know, as a company that you know, argue or presents itself as like a way to using earthquake aftershocks, uh, go on and predict crime. Um, and the way that they're predicting crime is like, all right, with earthquake aftershocks, you have like a tabulation of historical data that you can refer to. With crime, you have like historical, you know, uh, crime statistics that you're able to refer to. And then you give officers these, you know, red boxes. Uh, that they're able to hunt down people in, stay in, deter crime in, right? But I think Predpol is a perfect example because Predpol, you know, why does data get collected in some places and other places, you know? Like, they're not going to be red boxes around areas and suburbs where you have, you know, widespread coke problem, right? You're going to have red boxes in uh, places where it's black and brown communities that are already heavily surveilled, right, where the cops are going to be called already in the first place. And that ends up just reinforcing, you know, racist practices, racial profiling that already, you know, is such a problem that the police departments tried to go to Predpol to help, you know, construct this narrative of neutrality, right? Uh, but you also have other sorts of systems that emerge. You know, in New York City, you have um, a pretty strong relationship between uh, Microsoft and, uh, you know, the NYPD, you know, for, you know. Yeah, the domain awareness system. Right, right. Where literally, you know, all the cameras um, are together on a system that uh, they can then, you know, try to use. Their, whatever methods of predictive policing, facial recognition that they're going to then use to preempt crime, to deter crime, to catch criminals if they you know get away from a crime, right? Yeah, and the, the NYPD like talks about this in glowing terms too. If you even look on their website, they talk about how, you know, they they control the largest network of cameras and sensors of any city in the world, right? Like they talk about this as a point of pride, you know, that they've got uh, like radiological sensors, you know, anomaly to you know, detect some like dirty bombs, I guess. Mm-hmm. But you know, they've got radiological sensors that are sensitive enough to pick up like chemotherapy, right? right? Like people that had chemotherapy. Like they've got just like this intensely uh, invasive and ubiquitous and highly networked, right? It's highly connected. Where like you know, a cop can log on to their their phone or their you know in-car command center 
um, and look up, you know, uh, CCTV feeds in real time on like the other side of the city. Right. So it's like they're they're like wired into the city in this way that I don't think most people um, truly realize. Right. You know, and it's all I mean, and there are also some. You know, like the immediate way in which that surveillance is uh, happens is already a problem. Then there's also the fact that there is, you know, you should also be doubly concerned because NYPD gets a cut out of any, you know, sale or profit of, from a sale that happens when they convince another city to adopt it. You know, when they were able to uh, convince the Brazilian National Police to adopt it, when they were able to convince mm. Singapore's police department to adopt it. And, you know, we don't have any more records about who else has adopted it uh, at the time. Yeah, the NYPD becomes this, like, showroom mm-hmm. for Microsoft, right. too. Mm-hmm. It's like, see what we can do? Exactly. Yeah, you know, and it's, 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 it's just to add on to, like, all the other surveillance projects. I mean, like, the city ends up becoming, like, this, uh, you know, lab for uh, uh, surveillance where they also, you know, can do something like turn the Link NYC uh, terminals that are supposed to, like, replace phone booths and, and provide free Wi-Fi everywhere to, like, just be, uh, you know, sucking up data and surveilling people. Um, and... You know? Yeah, and it's it's like this isn't a corruption of those mm-hmm. systems, right? It's not right. like like oops, we 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 installed them, and oh no, they got sucked, you know, they got sucked in and rolled into this mass surveillance system. It's mm-hmm. like no, that was the point mm-hmm. from the beginning. Everything else was just a marketing pitch, right? You know, I think you know in your book you talk about how you know this sort of data extraction should be thought of as theft because uh it's taken without your consent and knowledge in most instances um and even when and you no d- compensation right and it's in contracts that are you can't negotiate the contracts they're one-sided documents that are made to be you know unreadable in the few instances where you're supposed to like agree to a terms of service um and i think that you know thinking about the way that data is extracted as uh, um theft should also get us to realize you know as some as you know Jackie Wang uh, talks about in Carcel Capitalism that we need to be thinking about policing as as plunder because, you know, the mm. police will, you know, the one on the one hand, they have a legitimacy crisis, right? And they're looking for tools that are going to be able to make them seem neutral and evidence-based. But on the other hand, they're also facing like a real sort of, you know, fiscal crisis or the cities that, you know, they serve are facing fiscal crises and leaning on police departments to make up that revenue, right? Whether it's by, you know, increasing quotas for ticketing and uh, for fines, whether that's integrating smart tech into parole uh, so that, you know, you have to pay for it and then you have to pay each month for the privilege of being like, you know, surveilled while you're at home, Uh, whether it's you have to pay for your own drug tests, you have to pay for the facilities, you know, things like that where it's this fucking, you know, policing as a service model yeah yeah it's just the fucking like they get you hooked on these subscriptions mm-hmm. oh you got to pay for the the you know the anklet monitor that's tracking you you got to pay a, a monthly rent on that you got to pay mm-hmm. this you got to pay oh that's fucking hell it's 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 ridiculous you know and i think that that is also part of the framework that also needs to be you know thought of because i think policing and tech have the same sort of like core uh, societal problems that are feeding into them where, you know, tech uh, is offering solutions to problems it's 
you know, helping accelerate and cause, which is, you know, the retreat of funding and the retreat of social goods and social services um, and the retreat of like a public sector, right? And they're coming in, they're offering these services for free or for near uh, near zero cost. Uh, but in reality, there's a huge cost, you know, either now or down the line. And uh, it ends up being digitized slash privatized, right? But that that deployment of the tech is being used as a way to make up for the fact that cities, you know, have been pulling back more and more of their funding or find more and more of their funding under attack by speculators because, uh, you know, some bank, you know, decided to go into Detroit and buy up revenue bonds on highways, on the sewage system, and comes knocking on your door and says, look, you owe us, you know, $700 million and uh, your revenues don't look like it's going to be able to do that. So why don't you, you know, parse it up, you know, cut it up, give it to us, let mm -hmm. us figure out a way to uh, make it more effective at uh, realizing a return. You know, and similarly with the police, uh, these tech devices are giving them the ability to pre present themselves as not racist, but also giving them the ability to present themselves as like integral parts of the this debt economy that's emerged where they're like, hey, you know, like, we'll keep you safe and we'll also keep you running by... Uh, extracting money from criminal elements, um, you know. Yeah, Jackie Jackie Wang's concept of policing as plunder is great because it, it totally links up as well to ideas around like civil forfeiture, right? And if we think about like civil forfeiture and the links of that with like data extraction, right? Like we can think of 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 you know da data surveillance and data extraction by the police and by the the companies that you know, partner with the police and provide services for the police as a form of civil forfeiture. And it has that same um, perverse cycle where it's like the police are, you know, they're taking something from you right. or from the community, um, whether it's assets or data or property. And then they're turning around, they're, they're, they're feeding that into their own organization, using it to then fuel themselves and turn around bigger, stronger, more powerful so that they can beat you down even better with your own property, with your own data, you know, with your own assets. So it feeds this like really vicious cycle. And, and you know, on either end of that, um, on the data extraction end and then on the, the processing and analyzing, you know, end on, on both sides of that, there's companies that are there, you know, feeding off that data, getting massive contracts from these police departments, you know, police departments, which we now know as, you know, city budgets were becoming like a, a really, you know, public thing back at the beginning of, of the uprisings in like March and April, you know, people were really digging into the, the city budgets right. and seeing that police departments were like, you know, 80% of the budget mm -hmm. in, in, you know, in major cities, which means they're the only, they're the only agency, the only government organization with money. Mm -hmm. And so therefore it makes sense that, you know, these, these big tech companies are springing up for that market, right? Mm -hmm. Cause there's money to be had, there's contracts to be had. They're the only people that are paying for these services. And so, you know, of course, you're going to get, you know, companies like Palantir, companies like Microsoft, you know, other, you know, all these companies that are not only partnering, but they're creating technologies specifically to market towards police, you know, to say this is what we know this is what you want. And so this is what we're going to give you. Right. You know, and I think that's why, you know, 
you know, as you've talked about in a lot of your work too, the like it is really important for us to keep sight of the political economy at work here. I think you know, for example, with you know abolitionists, really do abolitionists understand what the political economy is here, and they conceive of all of this as part of one complex, a prison industrial system that, you know, through carceral tech, as they'll call it, just you know, technology that is you know, a part of the process of either criminalizing people or throwing them into, uh, you know, cells or surveilling them to justify more money to uh, criminalize more people and throw more people into jails and so on and so forth. You know, that in and of itself has very obvious roots in the larger society and the way resources are distri uh, distributed. But when some of these trans uh, these conversations and these ideas get translated to the mainstream, right? You know, there is a risk of not all of that being transferred over. And, you know, some of the discussions, for example, then become about, you know, not, or lose sight of the fact that, you know, these are also part of, these are part of larger battles too that we need to keep fighting and be vigilant on, which is, you know, the salt of society by you know either speculative interests or you know capital or by you know frankly racist institutions trying to hoard up as much money as possible by transferring it from the public uh to private pockets and using ultimately whatever tools they're going to do to do that you know in many instances it's tech and tech is eager to play that role um Partly because uh, these that it's pretty profitable, you know, to destroy a public system and replace it with a private one. Um, it sucks for all of us, you know. The the trains fucking suck. <laughs> the buses will fucking suck. The you know the utilities will suck. But it is you know amazing for returns on investment. Um, and similarly, you know, uh, taking systems that we already hate and and should be fighting. To undermine and putting them further and further into private hands so that they're unaccountable so that they're you know unchallengeable so that they are also removed from public view and, you, and they're thought of to be part of like the machinery of daily life um is a really dangerous yeah and it's project. one of the weird it's one of the weird parts of, of how police operate especially mm. in the u.s is that um you know that they are public you know quote unquote but they but they operate essentially like sovereign you know entities sovereign right? so citizens they, they have a lot of yeah 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 the police are the real sovereign citizens uh -huh. here for for real because like they don't like they operate so much more like a private governance entity rather than a representative of the people or you know um uh, as a public agency right and so it, it it's it's th i think that's one reason why the the police as an institution are so bizarre but also why they partner so well with these private companies because you know it's it's really like business to business you know enterprise when you're talking about you know palantir mm -hmm. or or you know these other uh companies that partner with the police you know they're just providing business to business enterprise systems mm -hmm. um and we you know we hear a lot about militarization of the police but one, one of the major ways that happens which you know often goes overlooked is through technology right like right. it's through companies like persistent surveillance systems which is this aerial surveillance company um that you know originated uh in the military originated as a 
uh, technology to use in the Iraq war, in Fallujah in particular, um, as this kind of urban warfare, urban surveillance. And then it spun out from there as a private company and, and is, you know, marketed and sold to police departments. Same thing goes with Palantir, right? Originated as a, a CIA-backed, you know, anti-terrorist um, intelligence tool, right, to, to map out these networks of terror cells and, and, and now spun out and, and, you know, marketed and sold and used by police departments who treat their citizens mm -hmm. in the same exact way as they treat terrorists. Um, so, I mean, like, that's how militarization, act, like, actually existing militarization happens is mm -hmm. it's funneled through these technologies, through these services. We can see this kind of broad shift as well where police departments are starting to to undertake more of their own independent intelligence operations, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not only just this, like, occupying army model. It's like an NSA in every city, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, they like, intelligence um, gathering and, and analysis is now like a core part of what they do and how they operate. It's like a, it's like a, what, a thousand eyes instead of five eyes, you know, like nationwide together we can. Yeah. Yeah. Country. Yeah. Do you think exactly? Exactly. You, and uh, no, no, I was just going to ask, you know, I like hearing this. I'm, I also wonder, what do you think about, you know, there are, I think in the immediate aftermath or the immediate wake of like the rise of the defunding and abolition arguments, there was a group or a sort of strain of argument that was trying to argue, look, if you do this, then, you know, privatized police forces are going to be the dominant uh, mode of policing afterwards. Like you'll have a retreat of the public, you know, policing, and then we'll just get militias or we'll get, you know, private security forces roaming around and i'm curious if you think that one is you know feasible whether in terms of cost or cap or how much capital would have to be invested in that or two and two you know if uh i don't know like when your description of the police it also sounds like we kind of already have that in some instances right yeah I mean, this is something that definitely for for us to to talk about. I mean, I I don't know. I've not been sold on on the idea that like you know, oh, if we disband or defund the police, then you know, private enterprise is going to step in. I mean, on one hand, it's true that the the private security um, industry is massive. There's like just as many private security off you know guards as there are cops. Um, you know patrolling malls and parking lots and you know whatever um i mean it's true it's it's massive but it's nowhere near as organized and as armed and and has a the same authority as the actual police which you know as we've been getting into is so intertwined with capital anyways that for me it's i'm not so worried about you know um the the police being replaced by like you know bezos's private security guards or whatever mm -hmm. i'm more concerned that these companies will step up and fill the gap in the bottom in the in the budgets for police because you know capital is so used to and relies so heavily on a police force a state police force to serve its interests to protect its property um and also to supply it with massive contracts um i think they are they they are so reliant on that 
and they just have so such an ideological connection or you know um to that idea of how society is run that I think that they would step up to 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 fill out the bottom line. They would step up to fill out the budgets through grants, for example, mm -hmm. you know, and it would be great because it would give them additional marketing. You know, they could be like, oh, this is, you know, the Amazon community safety uh -huh. grant. You know, it's worth a, a trillion dollars and we're supplying this grant to, you know, uh, all the hundred biggest cities in the U.S. and you know, and 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 you know, they can get a coalition of other companies on board. You know, form an NGO, a nonprofit for community safety, right? So, like, I think that is what would uh, actually happen yeah. if we didn't head that off, right? If we didn't defund the police, but also cut off um, and close down these other potential pipelines of, of, of funding for that would be injected into police departments. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I think I, I have not been convinced of it. And like, again, keep returning to like the, you know, that we need to look at also larger political con like even if that were to happen what are the what what's what's allowing it to happen what the and what would be like the resulting techno politics and i think if we follow that thread that we just still arrive at the same point where we still need to figure out a way to root out you know the way that both of these forces have combined pervading our lives and the and the and the larger you know structural forces that are driving them to uh, you know colonize more and more of daily life right yeah we can already see the tech sector parts of it kind of stepping up to take the gas out of um, defunding to you know head off criticism of the police through like you know now now there's like this like new market of uh, technology startups um, supplying police departments with you know the, the solutions needed to suss out the quote-unquote bad apples oh. in police departments by using <laughs> mm -hmm. artificial intelligence right like you've got firms um like benchmark analytics is one that's been reported on that claims to use the techniques of predictive policing but turned around onto the police mm. so you can you know suss out you know instead of uh, finding a heat list of potential criminals you know you can find this this bad apple list of of, of of cops who are prone to violence or, or unethical behavior who are as the CEO um, of this tech company who is, is himself uh, an ex-cop. Oh, lovely. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, getting in on the grid because right. he knows how it works from the inside. So what are they, what are they gonna um, do but, when it's like you know, all the cops are on the list? You know, like if it, like a, it's yeah. gonna be like a civil war inside of like NYPD, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know you say the, the goal is to find and remove the malevolent actors but yeah what do you do when when that list is the whole roster of the right. police department do you do you do you follow up on on the on the technology do you say mm, must have been, must have been a glitch <laughs> right There's some bad data in oh there we need God. to we need to figure this out it's not it's not giving me the answers that i programmed it to give me right no i can imagine that press conference uh, we are suddenly aware of bias in our data set which has led us to conclude <laughs> yeah. that <laughs> we're suddenly aware of anti-cop bias right. in our data set. It's, an, it's an epidemic in america <laughs> i don't know if you've heard about it you know and it makes sense if your reality is anti-cop then your data is going to be anti-cop and you need to figure oh, out <laughs> dude 
They're gonna put use down that. that lathe of heaven and put down the lathe. This is exactly they're 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 just gonna take this and turn it into marketing copy. Oh my Fucking god! <laughs> you know it's gonna be ridiculous. Oh god, I can hear it already. You know, it reminds me. You remember when that? Uh, you remember when the cops like went and had that press conference outside of? Uh, it was like under a bridge or some shit, and they were trying to be. It was like two days after these. Or I don't I don't remember the timeline. It was after they burned uh, the Minneapolis uh, Police Department, and um, they were like, you know, this badge ain't got a stain on it, you know, and like that crowd of them, like half wearing the mask and not wearing the mask, like any now I'm thinking about this and I'm just like envisioning like them trying to defend each other um, from like the from the algorithm you know like they're gonna be the new luddites you know they're gonna be like this fucking algorithm doesn't know shit like we need to get rid of predictive policing uh we need to contain it we need to watch out for the dangers of it we need an open ai for uh police algorithms uh we need to protect our boys in blue you know some shit like that i mean it's that is perfect because it, it shows another it shows another weakness of this like um tech centrism mm -hmm. right because like none of it is there to actually you know none of these reforms are there to actually challenge the institution whether it's technology or whether it's policing right right those reforms are only there to um give the institution cover right. to buttress it to you know find a few scapegoats uh but you know to ultimately to make it stronger and let it keep going and 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 that centrism is also perpetuated on both sides by some of the most pathetic people, right? Uh -huh. I mean, so you got like, like the you know the Blue Lives Matter chuds who live to just <laughs> yeah. eat the boot leather of every cops, day, mm -hmm. you know, and 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 come up with these kinds of arguments and come up with the you know X Y Z whatever every day that you know that's their whole purpose in life is to fucking you know eat their boot leather but then on the other side of that you've got the same exact thing for the tech sector for silicon valley you've got you know the these tech lives matter geeks you know the 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 people who are like spend all day taking bullets for elon musk um online and just like debasing themselves in public um just to to you know defend uh tesla to defend amazon you know every, every time there's a story out about how jeff bezos has added another mm -hmm. like cool five billion dollars to his wealth mm -hmm. um look at the comments on on those stories and you'll inevitably find people that be like that's cool i mean what are you gonna take away something that he earned did you earn five <laughs> yeah. billion dollars why are you hating on bezos why are you yep. hating on bezos uh -huh. you know why are you coming after his money <laughs> it's it's oh my god like you'll find those people i think yeah I, I really i really do think they're you know on the same side of the coin you like for every you know person in the replies of like that um what is it the sergeant's bro sergeant's brotherhood administration like the the cop union over the nyc yeah the sergeant's benevolent association what a lovely name that's <laughs> that's that's ridiculous <laughs> but you know like for every member that or like all of them in another life would just be like perfect as vcs and like in another life paul graham could be like the head of it you know it's just like this it's not it's not even like that hard of a of a shift for them, I feel, because at the end of the day, you're defending like 
something that's supposed to be like a trans-historical force, which is like the justice of policing and like the, you know, the uh, mystical um, innovation at the heart of the tech VC uh, model, you know? And I, you know, Wendy Liu in her um, Abolish Silicon Valley book, you know, near the end talks about how the VC model um, is only like one specific model that we have like we don't really have to follow it but it's 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 emerged for historical reasons and it persists for you know either larger financial or economic reasons or because like you know it ends up you know perpetuating itself either because the returns then go to firms who can then continue to structure the way that startups form to get money and then that that sort of limit on what sort of form or organization is able to collect money and the processes and the rituals for getting money further limit and, and you know, make permanent what is allowed to thrive and survive in that system. But, um, you know, this idea that we need VCs, right, that uh, we need VCs is really just like, oh, well, you know, VCs are the only not the only way, but like the main way that we've driven innovation, so to speak, in the same way that like, you know, the ideas that cops are, we need them because they're the only way that we've known safety. When it's like, you know, there was technological innovation before VCs and there were safe communities before cops and both of their advents speak to larger changes where you know in the case of vc it's like speculators trying to get in on the action and get money and crowd out the public sector as a as a funder financier and you know collector of you know the benefits of innovation or tech development and then like in policing it's like patrols uh and uh you know property uh you know glorified you know guards for pro private property you know ending up taking more and more and more of uh you know, public service or role of public security and safety on the, onto their plates, you know? And I think that, I know, I don't know. It's not a coincidence that they don't sound, they sound yeah. the same, you know? It's not a coincidence. Cause I mean, you're exactly right in that, like, you know, VCs and police both exist as a way to, um, to, to, to put up barriers around capital, right? Mm -hmm. Like VCs are, you know, as you're saying, it's, it's this system, this esoteric rituals and, and brotherhood, you know, a clubhouse, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. as, as, as Paul, as Paul Graham and, and all them call it, you know, it's this, it's this clubhouse um, of people who uh, have the right to make decisions mm -hmm. and investments in technology, you know, te they have a, they, they are the futurist in the sense that they are the only ones that are allowed to build the future um and at the same time the you know just like how vc set up these gatekeepers and barriers the police are there as well to enforce um those gatekeepers around you know and barriers around private property around capital so it's 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 no coincidence and there's massive similarities between them and it's not it's also not surprising that whether it's entrepreneurs or officers uh that they're gonna build up these you know myths around themselves as yeah. as these as these heroes um as these these paragons of virtue in society right they're gonna build up these myths around each other the it's no surprise that happens that what's what's more egregious is that people buy it that people buy into it and people rally around to support those myths mm -hmm. that's that to me is like the most egregious part of it i hear you because i feel that when 
you know, you give people the chance to really think about what it is they would want, you know, either as a tech development model or as like a model for care and community. You know, I think, um, you know, there's this abolitionist group, Aid to Abolition, that, um, you know, ripped, you know, the shit out of whatever DeRay's um, plan was for like reforming the police. And, and, you know, one of the core sort of rhetorical, you know, pieces I, I think was really powerful was talking about the idea that, um, you know, with the abolition of police and, you know, focusing instead on care and community services and, you know, the sort of uh, investments that might root out uh, crime to begin with, either by caring for people and providing housing or poverty or more res restoration or more accountability. You know, we are on some level asking people to be a little bit more responsible individually and collectively, but with that allowing for a huge range of freedom to emerge, right? Because if you have the capacity, you know, to heal, to grow and to forgive and also to really preempt not in some sort of like robocop way but uh, because you're you're creating a social system where you don't want those things to happen because you care about other people and their well-being you know that is something i think people would want and lines up with like the sort of you know tech uh vision that we might want more than a VC model. You know, a VC model at the end of the day is taking social problems, figuring out a way to solve them through a startup that provides an app or, you know, like a faux AI service uh, that is able to then, you know, stay private for a decade so it can accumulate money and burn through billions and pay money out to Amazon and Microsoft and, and Google and, in, in, you know, using server space, using cloud computing and using whatever resources that they have to build up their company. And then, you know, building up like a value that is ridiculous, extracting more money from the public when it goes public uh, to private investors, you know, and then creating some monster that then sucks up even more value from the public and throws on all sorts of externalities, whether it's mental health, you know, whether it's you know increasing pollution or traffic in cities, whether it's undermining the ability for people to really socialize and connect with each other, you know, all the ways in which large VC funded or large you know platform or startup you know um, enterprises have dominated our world uh, are ways I suspect or and feel and I hear people would express that's not what they actually want. You know, what they would want is if there's a problem in the community to fix it in a way that, you know, you don't always have to put everything on the market, you know? Like maybe this, the solution for everything is not always like competition as a way to discover the best way to do it because, you know, there's all sorts of ways in our life where if you, uh, you tried to turn something into a competition, you would be seen as pathological, you know? Like we don't, like every single social problem is not solved by competition. Families are not, you know, competition uh, places for competition uh, competition to happen. Churches are not places for competition to happen. Schools, you know, in all honesty, are not places for competition to happen. And it's when you start to let that in, if you, you know, really try to argue for it to get in, people will understand that what you're saying is, you know, pathological, ridiculous, anti-human, you know, in a sense. So, why do we allow 
it to happen when it comes to tech? And then why do we let the flip side argument happen for policing where it's like, oh, you're not responsible enough to care for other people in your community and they're actually dangerous and, they're hurt and they'll hurt you. So we need to protect you, you know, by also having the ability to kill you or um, throw you in a cage or threaten you or, you know, scare you into compliance with asserted social order. Yeah, and I mean, so I think that's a good a good segue for us to get into, uh, you know, talking about the patheticness of, of rallying around these chumps, mm-hmm. um, talking about, you know, what what it means to not only build these myths but then to go to bat for 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 these myths around the um, tech lives matter and blue lives matter and the CEOs and the officers and so on and so forth. We we've got. We've got for y'all today a real masterpiece of the Tech Lives Matter genre. You know, I, I think this one is really kind of setting setting the tone for 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 many more pieces <laughs> to come. Um, we've got so we've got a good re- we've got a good we've got a good a good reading series today. Mm-hmm. It's a good from one. the Wall Street oh, oh. <laughs> from the Wall Street Journal, which I think will be. A constant well mm-hmm. of content for us, um, and in particular, I think the you know the col- the, the columnist who we're getting into today, Andy, Andy Kessler, um, who's the columnist for uh, Inside View in in WSJ Opinion, which is the column that looks at the uh, um, quote what looks at what makes Silicon Valley and Wall Street tick. So so that mm-hmm. intersection mm-hmm. there. Tech CEOs deserve an apology. Yeah. Ed, greatest opinion? You know, I Great th- opinion or greatest <laughs> opinion? <laughs> I, obviously the greatest one. You know, they deserve an apology. Uh, they deserve a massage. They deserve a guillotine. They deserve, like, you know, a way to be... To <laughs> they need the pressure that's mounting in their heads to be relieved. And I think, um, you know, I, I think he doesn't go far enough. You know, like, a, an apology helps you know for now but a guillotine would you know be more permanent <laughs> so so andy uh andy kessler's uh op-ed came out or column came out um right up to the lead up of uh the the big congressional hearing mm-hmm. where these tech ceos were going to be made to answer for their crimes against the market humanity, <laughs> um the market america uh you know so so we got the the deck is legislators cry antitrust but the facts show blessings not harms for consumers mm-hmm. so let let me let me get into this um let me read the, through this and we'll 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 comment as we go mm-hmm. so andy who it should it should i should note terrible writer <laughs> truly an awful writer not a fan um <laughs> just stylistically really really unpleasant to read so he's he begins it's summer must be time to grill a few ceos mm-hmm. amazon's jeff bezos apple's tim cook facebook's mark zuckerberg and google's sundar pakai will appear wednesday virtually how fitting mm. before the house judiciary antitrust subcommittee it's tech success versus lawyers and career politicians who probably have an aide print out their emails. 
Broadway is closed, so this will be must-see theater. There's a whole shitty tone that runs throughout this this whole opinion. It's 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 a really good example of um, when you don't have an actual argument mm-hmm. to make, you cover it up by having a really stanky tone. Which is on on how you write things. That's ac- and that's funny because you know like part of his argument is, or you know later on becomes like. The other side doesn't have any argue any arguments, so they're just being loud and you know uh, cantankerous. But it's like uh, I don't know, as you'll see, it's it, it's it's a lot of posturing, <laughs> you know. You can hear so you can Andy, hear Andy continues. The, the CEO's task is to disarm, dissuade, and mm-hmm. dissipate. Right. No need to upstage congressmen who are playing a weak hand. Antitrust is driven by consumer harm. Sure, there are screw-ups. Amazon favors its own products. Apple its own apps. Google its own YouTube videos. Facebook collects too much personal data. <laughs> Yet none of these habits necessarily harm consumers. And all could be easily fixed without decades-long antitrust inquisitions. Lawyers are taught, quote, if you have facts on your side, hammer the facts. If you don't, hammer the table. We'll expect loud table banging. Love it. I also- so, and, so <laughs> Andy's whole purpose for this article is essentially applying for the job of like comms director yeah. <laughs> for the coalition of, 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 of the big five, like big tech CEOs. I know. You, I think Wall Street Journal is going to have a renaissance. You know, like they had that journalist who uh, joined the board of Palantir um next they're gonna have andy oh Kessler. shit i forgot <laughs> yeah. about that yeah dude that's bold <laughs> as shit i mean well a, a job at the wall street journal is basically just uh like a really long application process to be on the board of some like odious company well you know what like she's also friends with andy carp um or Alex Carr. Why'd I call him Andy? I think uh, probably I've been reading too much Sullivan and getting mad about it. But there's um, <laughs> there's uh, like they're close friends and she like dedicated a book on um, – I have to pull it up because it's a little ridiculous. Um, I don't even know her name. But the book – So it should also be noted that Andy Kessler um, like worked at Bell Labs – before moving to Wall Street and then eventually founded his own hedge fund called Velocity Capital. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there, there's, I, well, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> but I feel like there should be a really big, like, conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, this man is uh, the enemy. Yeah, disclaimer. <laughs> this man is like, <laughs> if, if you are not clear viewer, this man is the enemy. Anyone who's like, you know, you should already have your hand in your pocket when someone from a hedge fund wants to talk to you. But, like, if they want to talk to you about tech, you know, like, turn off your devices, you know, throw them in the water, <laughs> grab your wallet. You know, like, this man is trying to steal something from you. Um, and I also just want to, like, uh, like let's, like, ex- li- you know, live in the fact that, like, he kind of listed, like, really egregious shit that the companies has done. is just like, eh, you know, this is screw up. And he even <laughs> called them habits, yeah. like, recognizing that they're not going to quit. Like, right. they're habituated. All right, so he continues. Mr. Zuckerberg should play up consumer benefit. Quote, Chairman David Cicilline. 85.7% of registered voters in your Rhode Island district use Facebook for over an hour every day. Get them thinking, would they vote for Facebook over me? 
questions will fly about an advertiser boycott over quote-unquote hate speech and divisive content. Mm -hmm. Disney recently joined Starbucks, Ford, Unilever, and Verizon. But branded advertising doesn't really work on Facebook. Hence, brands are saving money by boycotting. Zuck must think, we don't need these Mickey Mouse outfits. Yeah, that, when I... Facebook... <laughs> Keep this going. Is a, this is the killer line. This is the killer line. Facebook is a small business platform and a critical one. Mm -hmm. Millions of companies rely on it to sell products locally and often nationally. Mr. Zuckerberg should ask, quote, are you against small businesses? Is this an indictment of our entire American society? Well, you can do whatever you want to us, but I, for one, am not going to stand here and listen to you badmouth the United States of America, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine can Zuck you imagine just like what his pasty just, ass like like not truly human flesh and eyes going going to the congress being like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna stand for it it'd be like in a robotic i'm not gonna stand for this goodbye <laughs> It, 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 it's again it's that fucking myth making mm -hmm. imagine the version of Zuckerberg that exists in this guy's head mm -hmm. and how disconnected it is from the fucking Madame Tussauds wax figure that actually exists in reality it's so ridiculous. I think he thinks like it's, Zuck it's, is it's, like data you know from Star Trek like I don't know what else like it, it, you can't really reconcile it. Like also, you know, the idea that Facebook is a small business platform, you know, that's a that's an old line from the right wing talking. And then if you're against Facebook, you're against small business and America <laughs> and it, it, and I mean, America, we're a country. Well, of small yeah, businesses. because America is made up by small businesses. Right, that's right. right. It's, it's, that's it's the United Small Business <laughs> of America. America. Right, yeah, you know, and I think it also <laughs> gets to like this idea. Uh, this like really conscious attempt, I think, also by people on the right to be like, well, you know, people are consumers; they're not citizens. Like, consumption is our political activity and identity. And like for this dude, you know, like, I mean, like, why the fuck would a dude think would they vote for Facebook over me? Of fuck, of course not. There, like, what does you know, like, what the fuck are you talking about? What does that even mean? <laughs> what does that even mean? Who's gonna run on a platform <laughs> like so, only a QAnon like show would be like, look, uh, I'm gonna run so that we can be free on Facebook, so we can have Facebook all the time, but also use it to hunt down uh the you know network of pedophiles that donald my, Trump... my man heard facebook was a platform and was thinking political platform <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is my 10 point facebook I... program right now it's... yeah 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 <laughs> he's fucking woodrow wilson over here this is my facebook platform oh my God. so it's so if, if his idea of zuckerberg is unhinged wait until we hear about bezos so on the other hand amazon should demand praise like when you ask the annoying Parisian waiter, do you speak German? And he sputters, non, you say, you're welcome. <laughs> this guy is telling on himself yeah. real hard. What what kind of <laughs> pool is that? What kind of reference pool is Can you that? Imagine? What the fuck? <laughs> this is like the worst. It's also that idea of like, like this is something that he, like he when he holidays in Paris, mm -hmm. he imagines himself saying that to every single like French guy that he comes across, mm -hmm. but he's never actually done it. He's never actually right. done it. And he never it. will. He just lives in this fantasy. What is he going to do? Is he going to say no, it in like that, broken that's why ass French? Bezos, this is 
avatar. Yeah, like Bezos is his avatar. So he says, Mr. Bezos's job is simple. Quote, Congressman, have you watched House of Cards? They all have. <laughs> You're welcome. Netflix uses Amazon servers. So does Zoom. Did you get your next day delivery of that six quart Instapot or Instant Pot? You're welcome. Lockdowns would have been undoable without Amazon Prime. Ridiculous. Just again, I'm um, like, just m- imagining Bezos walking into the 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 Zoom of Congress and not giving any arguments, just real having a real like 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 shitty tone, mm-hmm. and that's his whole approach. Is also, just you're welcome. I love welcome. that like he used House of Cards as an example. House of Cards. Who can who can forget that lovable <laughs> show featuring just insane amounts of corruption that uh, probably match what actually goes on. Uh, that features uh, a guy who is, you know, by all accounts, a huge sexual predator, a monster, uh, somehow tangentially connected to the whole Epstein um, network, right? And, like, like that sort of shit just, it's, like, it's so stupid, you know? Like, I just, I, he does I like, I like the idea, too, that, like, if, if Facebook should take credit for all small business activity, then Amazon should also be able to take credit for every every service that uses AWS. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's like it's like, do you enjoy Netflix? Well, therefore, you must enjoy Amazon. Mm. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. It's, yeah. You gotta <laughs> thank uh, Bezos for his service. You know, uh, it's 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 ridiculous. I don't know. What goes on through this? So he, he goes on, Google and Apple can talk about similar mobile lifelines for consumers, anonymized data tracking movement trends, and their work on contact tracing through smartphones. Google has heat maps for searches for fever. So we can thank Google and Apple for, um, you know, uh, sol- solving the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. Thank you, Tim Cook. Didn't, thank you. Didn't Sundar they do Pichai. a contact uh, tracing app and it just... You know, never worked. Yeah. <laughs> so what the fuck? <laughs> You're welcome, Ed. You're welcome. Oh damn. Uh, yeah, my bad. I forgot. Hold on. I'm gonna and let me hit up like the Google PR and um, Apple PR and apologize to them for asking them uh, pointed questions yesterday <laughs> or on Friday. Again, so so he's got. His, he continues again. Stick with facts. Don't be Jack Dorsey. Ooh. Just slipping that. <laughs> yeah. Just slipping that burn in right? there. Ooh, ooh, roast hand, mm-hmm. roast hand. During 2008, te- uh, 2018 testimony, the Twitter CEO swore up and down that the site didn't shadow ban or stop certain users, mainly on the political right, from trending or showing up in searches. Twitter's algorithm, he claimed, were merely tracking behavioral signals. Then, whoops, hackers last week accessed the accounts of Joe Biden, Elon Musk, Barack Obama, and others, and released screenshots showing a secret admin panel. Twitter hasn't denied the images were real and quickly took them down. The panel has buttons for trends blacklist and search blacklist, the definition of shadow banning. My man is just tipping his hat at Q right now. In the pages of the Wall Street Journal, he's he, he's Dude, like, so I, I, I see you out I there. I bet if we like converted this to binary, it'd be like a secret message to Q. You know, just every. <laughs> <laughs> 
It makes Mr. Dorsey's denials sound fact-challenged at best. Hmm. Alternative facts, maybe? Yeah. No, that is me. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's why he said he plans to work from Africa. So his fellows... So the idea is that Jack Dorsey got so owned on the floor of Congress that he had to move to Africa. Right. He had to pull a Dave why else? Why? Yeah, why Africa. else would someone move to Africa? Obviously... Um, it's because the feds are after them, right? He's a wanted man, you know? They're going to run. <laughs> For shadow banning. How dare <laughs> you? you? <laughs> <laughs> he, he had to escape the, like, the, the secret tribunals that Hillary Clinton, you know, have already has already been sentenced to death. Oh, yeah. He had to escape to Africa. Oh, my God. Yeah, dude. Q, all right, a lot of people don't know this, actually, but Q has no power in Africa. I don't I don't know why, but no, it's just it's just it's, it's nothing it's too racist. Yeah, he's racist. That's really what it is. He's ra- he's scared the, the, the you'll never set foot in that continent. I love if Q was a real person, he would be. Um, oh, dude, how am I forgetting this guy's name? The horror writer who was just like intensely racist and also scared of outside and like uh wrote the 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 man oh lovecraft there we go yeah it's just just lovecraft you know just like the the most racist agoraphobic i mean you really narrowed it down by saying the horror writer that was intensely racist (laughs) i was like well that doesn't really help me (laughs) you're right you're right (laughs) all right so so old andy continues disarm check dissuade check but how do you dissipate Hmm. easy when asked about hate speech, just challenge Congress to define it and say you'd be happy to get rid of it. Maybe Congress will rise to the challenge, but the Supreme Court would inevitably rule whatever they came up with violates the First Amendment. Again, <laughs> just telling them to be like, oh, you don't like hate speech? Well, tell me what it is. Right. Oh, he's just be like mm, one of those annoying right. ad hominem. Oh. Mm. And that's the piece. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, all right. Next piece is going to be him, Ben Shapiro talking about why hate speech isn't real um and the advertiser board <laughs> and you can't statement. define it so it's not real right. it doesn't exist tech companies are being beaten up for their size and success right. that's just envy mm-hmm. and eventually competition especially from each other and the next wave of cool technology will topple them Listen closely, and you may hear rumblings of the antitrust theory of competitive harm. That theory abandons any hard proof of consumer harm and holds, for example, that Facebook can be broken up merely because its purchase of Instagram prevented a competitor from emerging. Even squishier is the new Brandeis school, and get this, hipster antitrust. Which says the purpose of antitrust is to help solve inequality and other social ills. Blech. That sounds like that sounds like hammering the table, not facts. Meanwhile, I for one am not going to stand here. Antitrust canceled. We did it. We fixed it, folks. <laughs> That's the end of that amazing tech CEOs deserve an apology. God. You know, it's not every day that you hear you like that. If you listen closely when you read a piece, like you can hear like the labored breathing as they're just like you know, shine, like just you know, beating themselves off like writing this shit. Because <laughs> I just what like you know, there's the argument here. Like if we zoom out, 
is that they've done a bunch of good things and the way to communicate that is to like uh threaten them a little bit politically um uh imply that you know this is the same thing as like not thanking america all the time for uh, fighting the nazis um and that uh, antitrust theorists are just hipsters or um yeah, and they care about things like equity yeah. and other social Ills. idiots. Ooh, you know? Gross, I, gross, <laughs> gross. And now, um, now, so this was written like the day before the antitrust hearing. Mm-hmm. Can you? I, 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 I want to see what like crazy mental contortions he's doing to justify the actually like real like the showing of these sex ceos where they largely just relied on being like uh uh uh, uh <laughs> i'm not uh, i, I don't recall the company was doing that um i don't recall uh uh I, you know just mm-hmm. the most like beta shit right like they but, which is great because they i mean for them they were going on the def- on you know that was their whole tactic if they had gone the way that andy wanted them to um and been like super alpha about it it would have fucking just in, like exploded in their face but instead, because, uh, you know, the, the tech CEOs actually hire like like real, you know, comms people that have like real strategy and tactics mm. and, uh, and aren't just like doing this like, you know, self-fulfillment fantasy in their brain about like Bezos and Zuckerberg owning Congress. Um, you know, they, they, they went on the defensive mm-hmm. and, and kind of did the whole like Fifth Amendment defense, basically. Which, on the other hand, though, led to the rise of the complete inverse opinion, mm-hmm. um, which is like exemplified by this Guardian article that came out like the day after the hearings from um, Matt Stoller, which is just like uh, what the, the title of this article is Congress forced Silicon Valley to answer for its misdeeds. It was a glorious sight. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you get the complete other side of like, like just total fantasy wish fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think during the hearing, Stoller tweeted like, go Congress. (laughs) (laughs) Like rooting on his favorite team. Um, And uh, and he says in this piece, you know, celebrating Congress's roast of these big tech turkeys. Oh my God, you know, um, Jayapal and Cicilline just fucking spit roasted those you know bezos just gave the eiffel tower to zuckerberg (laughs) it's 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 (laughs) and and stoller says quote it's rare to see congress cover itself in glory but believe it or not that's what happened bro take a fucking cold shower and calm down yeah that's not covering itself in glory uh, they covered themselves (laughs) with something it was not glory dude i'm like i just don't understand what this man is you know like it's really interesting because, you know, on the one hand, there were some interesting questions that were asked, but it's like also nothing's going to happen to it. And again, this is the same Congress that like let the federal moratorium expire and then also let federal unemployment insurance expire. So like, you know, when I read this piece, I was just like, oh, like, dude, come on. Like if like what like if they covered themselves in glory, it was gone in a second later. And I don't think there was glory. They asked like, you know, they asked some good questions. Uh, what do they like? You know, at the end of the day, what are we gonna do about it, right? You know, my my prediction of what comes out of the the antitrust hearing and all that is a big goose egg, a big mm-hmm. nothing burger. Like nothing's gonna come out of it. There's not gonna be any change. You know, 
it's it, it's just going to be this occasional public spectacle where you know it's a spectacle of accountability that's all it yeah. is a spectacle of accountability nothing is going to come out of it uh, I, yeah and 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 honestly it just shows i think i'm worried yeah, that it, like you know the antitrust hearing might have actually set some things back because the antitrust hearing was so narrowly focused on this idea of competition you know and like mm. the 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 actual people at the forefront of like antitrust and trying to rehabilitate it and rescue it from the neoliberal turn that it had in the 70s where it only became about consumer welfare and allowed monopolies to grow this this hyper focus on competition you know loses the whole plot you know the the reason you want to ensure that there's not inordinate amounts of power over markets and over labor is not so like there can be competition right it's 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 so that there's not domination you know and you know yeah and and they lost sight of that oh. like they it came up sometimes in some in some questions by some congress people uh but the whole idea of it was that like damn you know if only you had like a rival you know if only if only there was like an american tiktok if only there was like you know like an american good cop that could just like fight you bad cops and then we'd be then we'd be in like perfect harmony you know it'd be yin and yang exactly i mean i've seen a, a number of um tech journalists you know and talking about trump's banning tiktok speculating oh is this a favor to facebook right mm -hmm because then facebook has their like tiktok clone mm -hmm. reels or whatever that they're going to roll out you know and the the market's going to be wide open for them but again it's as you as exactly as you're saying that both sides are so focused on the on on the marketplace right it's like how competitive is the marketplace mm -hmm. and that that is just the 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 wrong way to look at it i mean it's like it, it frames it where the only divide in America right now is do we stand Congress mm -hmm. or do we stand the tech CEOs, right? Mm -hmm. Are we for tech lives matter or are we for blue lives matter? Mm -hmm. um, no, actually, the synthesis of that dialectic is a uh, partnership between the two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? The, the like, final no, form I'm, of the private partner public uh, partnership, you know. We've been building towards this for decades. We're finally here. I welcome uh, the complete and total annihilation of any part of our society except for like the private sphere and the cops and tech. It's gonna be great. You know, you know, what would fix that is if uh, if we had like a wife swap, but for CEOs and Congress people. <laughs> so you know, it's like Cicilline became the CEO of Facebook, mm -hmm. and Zuckerberg became you know the chairman of the of the committee. Yes, yeah, you know, there we go. That that that. You know, let them walk a couple miles in each other's shoes, they have to, and, then, you know, and then they'll then they'll really see. They have to share. You know, they'll understand each other. Lived experiences. You know, like I think that we could have, we could gain a lot if we understood uh, the life worlds that Zuckerberg not only inhabits but destroys every single day. And we need that swap to be able to get like a complete, total picture of that. You know, that's the only way that we're going to be able to uh, move into the future together. I'm over, I'm over here clapping my hands. <laughs> Believe tech CEOs. Yeah, you know? they're, no, they're the future, dude. <laughs> they validate their experiences. Mm -hmm. I hear you. I see you. And I do not give a fuck. I will destroy you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think that's a great way to end. Where our, our, our this machine kills is is here to 
carve out a third way, right? <laughs> yeah. a third way position mm-hmm. um, between those between those those divisions, and it's one that is fundamentally anti-capitalist, mm-hmm. fundamentally anti-innovation, uh, right? And and has a has a has a I think a much needed uh, Luddite perspective on modern society, modern technological society, but also, you know, bringing Luddite back to, uh, you know, reclaiming it. It's not a bad word. Yeah. It's not a slur. It's not derogatory mm-hmm. in the way that, you know, they talk about it in Silicon Valley or whatever. It's actually good. Um, but also, yeah, it's, uh, reviving its original meaning, which was as a, um, a, a form of working class organization against the domination by capital using tech, uh, technologies to uh, exploit more, extract more, dominate more, right? That's what it's ultimately about. It's based in this truly materialist analysis of technology as both produced by and reproducing a, a political economy. And you know that I think that's what we're trying to do here mm-hmm. um, with with this machine kills. Right. You know, any any last words to wrap up the episode, Ed? I think that I would hope, you know, everybody listening, uh, when they, you know, log off for the night, they talk themselves into bed, you know, close their eyes and think really hard about what. Uh, Bezos has done for them lately, you know. I think that <laughs> I think that we could all do, you know. We don't have to apologize, you know. We don't have to go crazy, but maybe maybe show a little thanks, you know, um, and situate ourselves in the uh, blessings that our tech overlords had have given us. Um, or, you know, if you're feeling wild, maybe think about the ways in which they've uh, helped destroy and flatted and undermine like the human experience not in a romantic sense just like in a literal like the existence of these tech companies uh result in people being immiserated people being put into you know slavery people being like put into you know mental distress and crises and asking themselves whether they really think that those are incidental or like um an acceptable consequence and, and sometimes planned, you know? Uh, and I think hopefully what we do here is, is, you know, I think a lot of people will say that they understand that those are consequences that are directly linked to the system. But, you know, if you know something is immoral, the next step is to get rid of it. So why aren't we talking more about getting rid of these things? Why are we talking about rehabilitating them? Why are we talking about how we can make Amazon a safer place to work in instead of like recognizing the fact that if you treat your workers like shit all the fucking time, you know, um, and if you sell products that are racist and if you sell products to racist forces that maybe you don't need to exist and maybe you need a machine right. to get rid of you, you know, that's right. And, and, you know, in, in the words of, uh, Anne Lee Kessler until next yeah. week, <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs>
Music and production for this machine kills is by Jeremy Brown.